The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. This is Squawk Box. In the headlines, the spread of the outbreak quickens stateside, with Texas and Arizona seeing a spike in cases in what top health official Anthony Fauci calls a disturbing surge. I, as a member of the task force, and my colleagues on the task force, to my knowledge, I know for sure, but to my knowledge, none of us have ever been told to slow down on testing. That just is a fact. In fact, we will be doing more testing. The European Union is reportedly set to block Americans from traveling to the EU as a draft document seen by the New York Times lists the US alongside Russia and Brazil as not having the virus under control. Wirecard's former CEO is released on a 5 million euro bail agreement after Munich prosecutors arrest Marcus Braun over allegations he falsified accounts at the German payments company. Shares in Dell jumped more than 20% on reports the computer company is exploring options for its $50 billion stake in cloud services group VMware, which includes selling the holding or buying it outright. So the number of coronavirus cases continues to surge in the southern and the western states of the U.S. Texas reported an all-time high of nearly 5,500, while Arizona logged a record single-day increase. The average in the latter is up around 94% on the week. The total number of infections in the U.S. has now topped 2.3 million, with the death toll hitting more than 121,000. Meanwhile, fatalities in Latin America have surpassed the 100,000 mark, with Brazil recording more than half that figure. Business activity in the U.S. rebounded in June, according to the latest flash PMI data, in the latest sign the downturn is losing Steam, the IHS survey showed the composite number shooting back up to 46.8 as both services and manufacturing hit the highest level in four months. However, the number was below the 50-point mark, which indicates it's still in contraction territory. The reading comes as businesses across the U.S. have begun reopening amid the easing of lockdown measures. Let's have a quick look at the futures just to give you an indication of what the early look at the market suggests. We are uh, set for an implied open here of about uh, 42 points on the Dow. So that's a positive start to the session indicated, uh, which is uh, encouraging, I guess, as we um, begin, that pro- begin the program by looking at the infection data, which, if anything, tells a, a rather sorry story, particularly for the southern uh, United States. But there are a lot of uh, moving parts in the uh, market news flow today. I want to show you just how we closed out the session here in the United States, because you'd be forgiven for thinking 
that actually everything was fine, that we don't have spiking cases, that we don't have some concerns about perhaps retail or housing data not being as robust as you might have liked. Don't get me wrong, you know, if, when you looked at the new housing starts, the data was astonishing. 15 point no, sorry, 16.55% upside for May, the best uh, month since June of 2019. That was a surprise to the upside. But the reality is the existing home sales number fell 9.7% month on month. So as you look at some of these data points coming out of the lockdown, some of it flatters to deceive. It suggests that actually the recovery is quite robust, but in reality there's a rate of change element in the story that implies actually things are doing a whole lot better than they really are in terms of the year-on-year comparison. Um, let's move on. Let's take a look at the Treasuries. Again, just worth keeping an eye on what the yield on the Treasury note is doing here, because that shows you where some of the um, uh, smart money is going where it perceives there to be risk. And interesting that we are holding on to the uh, seven-tenths of one percent uh, position here on the uh, ten-year note. Um, there is this story out there, you will have seen it no doubt, about the size of the short position implied by the futures going forward. The CFT, CFTC data from the exchange showing the biggest net short in the S&P futures since 2011. Now, sometimes people take a contrarian view and say that that number represents opportunity to the long side of the market. But Peter Bokvar uh, talking to our colleagues in the United States saying, you know, sometimes it's right. September 2007, it turned out to be an important omen for what came next for the market. So Peter Bokvar saying sometimes the short data is right and you ignore it at your peril. Let's have a look at the Asian market session then. And something else going on here that I just want to tell you about right off the top of the program. Uh, there is a lot of speculation, and you'll see it this week in various journals and articles, that at quarter end, we will get a big adjustment by the pension funds and the large money houses as they reweight away from equities into bonds, basically because Equities have done so well over the quarter, the S&P up 21% uh, alone here. And you might look at these uh, Asian markets and ask yourself the question, is some of that reweighting already taking place? There's no definitive answer from the analysts. In fact, as you talk to them, some of them even suggest, well, it might have happened already. Most of the funds may have done the reallocating already here or it may not have happened yet. I'm not sure how useful that information is then uh, in terms of how you take a decision on where you position it, but it is just worth bearing in mind this is something that the big money houses are talking about in their meetings about asset allocation at the moment. So a bit of a split decision in terms of how we look at these four exchanges that are up on the board this morning. So Wall Street is bracing for what could be then a big wave of 
of end of, qu- end of quarter selling as pension funds cash in on the recent rally and move funds into fixed income. Wells Fargo estimates uh, U.S. pension funds could allocate $35 billion from equities to bonds, making it the largest rebalancing in six years. J.P. Morgan expects even larger flows of $65 billion, saying the sell-off could present a buying opportunity. Goldman Sachs, for their part, reportedly foresee the largest rebalancing of $76 billion. Howard Marks of Oak Tree has told CNBC his company is taking a defensive approach as the pandemic continues to rattle economies around the world. We're maintaining a, a, a cautious portfolios. Uh, we're fully invested where we, where we can be, uh, which is most places. But with, uh, you know, the, the, the question, uh, as I've said many times on the air here, is whether to be aggressive or defensive. And I would say that where markets are today, uh, combined with the fundamental outlook, would put a premium on defense rather than aggressiveness. Uh, well, let's pick up and speak with uh, Anna Hahn, equity strategist at Wells Fargo Securities, who joins us now from Washington, where I think it's about one in the morning. So you're either having a very good night or a very poor morning, Anna. Welcome to the program anyhow. Let, let me just ask you about how you feel about positioning at the moment. There we listen to Howard Marks saying he feels the need to be cautious. What are you guys over at Wells Fargo thinking? Thanks, Jeff. So our view recently has been that the market is gaining a bit heated, that is equities. And you've had these risk-hungry hippos pushing it higher and higher. And the question is, on what news? So far, we're still in that risk-on camp, but we are getting more cautious and getting a little more, I would say, weary. Yeah, that's a, it's an interesting point. It's We've come a long way very quickly here, and the expectation is some of the momentum will begin to slow here. How much weight do you put on this argument that we will see the big pension funds and others reweighting into fixed income at quarter end? Well, pension funds and reweighting are a very real flow. They're a technical factor, though. So you would expect that, you know, over a couple of weeks, it could cause some choppiness. But the idea is long term. Where do you believe lie? If you think that from here on, you can see more risk on, you see more good opportunities, that investor appetite for risk can continue to push equities through that turmoil and go higher all the way through year end. So while those pension funds could be a technical headwind, I think longer term, we're going to see higher. How relevant um, is the rise in infections at this point, Anna? Because uh, one of the big arguments for this uh, risk on uh, strategy has been that there is pent up demand and we will see consumers come out fighting and spending. And yet, if we continue to see rising infection rates in many states, won't that stop that spending taking place? Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because even though you're seeing cases rise in some parts of the U.S. and natural, nationally, those case counts are going higher, reopening has continued. And it's really that reopening that it seems that equities are focused on so far. But you're absolutely right. As cases really get to a dire point, you can suspect that 
reopening is going to slow. And in that case, that recovery of the U.S. economy is also going to be put kind of on pause. But so far, equities are enjoying the fact that restaurants are starting to be able to allow offering uh, outside dining. You're seeing foot traffic increase in stores. So that's been enough to continue that risk appetite. And let me ask you, we, we began the week um, by seeing that big sell down in the futures on this whole issue of whether the trade deal with China is off. And then it was on again. And then I think we understood that there was really no significant change. But you can feel the heat rising in relations between China and the United States at the moment. To what extent do you think risk is appropriately priced around the uh, political issues the U.S. is facing? When it comes to political issues between the U.S. and China, we think that has become a bigger and bigger concern. You're right that it's been heating up. And now the idea of phase two coming, where it might have something to do with us getting some uh, IP protection from China, it seems a little bit of a very high-hanging fruit. And especially with both countries in a recession, the question is, can China even hold up the phase one agreement of buying that agriculture they promised? So it has become a more concern. But whether that risk is appropriately priced, we have to see. Yeah, let's um, let's talk a little bit about the dollar, because the dollar, in a sense, is a, is a measure of uh, risk appetite and also political risk at this point. What's your expectation as to where the greenback goes from here? Because I think baked into a lot of the arguments about risk on, particularly for investing away from the states at this point, is this view that the dollar is going to weaken through the rest of this year. What do you what do you guys uh, think at Wells Fargo? We think that as the recovery continues, not just in the U.S., but really globally, that you're going to see a weaker and weaker bid for the U.S. dollar because the dollar tends to act as that safe haven currency, as you may already know. And you saw in particular when trade tensions rose last year, as trade tensions heated up, the dollar got weaker. But the correlation or coinciding this year has been the other way. As things get dicier and not just politically, uh, but also, you know, domestically with the recovery, the dollar gets stronger. Now, we've had some great news, including that PMI data, uh, helping, you know, ease that bid for the dollar. So as long as things continue to reopen and we continue to see investors have confidence and spending power, that dollar could see weaker times. Uh, and Anna, let's just wrap up with you. Um, Sector-wise then, where do you think our audience would be best served? We're on the small cap and value trade. You know, that's been a call we've liked since April. And we've been pushing that because it has that risk on and it has a good bang for your buck. But like you said in the beginning, uh, when we were talking, you got to be careful with where you decide to enter the market. And as we get higher and higher, we'd be slowing that down. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us and for getting up for us or staying up for us uh, there in Washington, D.C., Anna Hahn, uh, equity strategist at Wells Fargo Securities. Uh, and if you want to know more about that big short position that the markets are talking about, go to cnbc.com. It's the biggest bet against the stock market in nine years uh, if you look at the size of that net short on the S&P 500 futures. It's a story that a lot of folks 
are talking about at the moment. Ahead, more woes for Wirecard. The German payments company now standing accused of deliberately misleading markets as former CEO Marcus Braun is taken into custody. We're going to talk to a lawyer involved in a case against the company later. And if you want to hear all these stories uh, again and you want to keep up to date with all the latest on the spike in the US in infections, please check out the Squawk Box podcast. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, the Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse. The European Union is reportedly proposing to ban American travellers from entering entering the bloc, citing the US failure to control the outbreak. That's according to the New York Times, which says it has viewed a draft proposal by the European Commission. Uh, 27 countries are reportedly discussing criteria for allowing non-EU visitors into the bloc. The US could be put in the same category as two other hotspots, Russia and Brazil. A slaughterhouse in Lower Saxony in Germany has reported a fresh outbreak of 23 coronavirus cases, prompting testing of around 1,000 further employees. That's after authorities reimposed lockdown measures in two districts of North Rhine-Westphalia, which have a combined population of more than 600,000 due to an outbreak at a meat packing plant. The region's premier... Armin Laschet called it the, quote, biggest infection event in Germany so far. The country has confirmed another 587 cases and 19 new deaths. The head of Germany's central scientific body emphasized the importance of complying with fresh restrictions. The current outbreaks, for instance, in meat processing companies or in religious communities, can of course be easily transmitted to the population via contacts. That is why it is really so important that we all continue to be mindful and stick to the rules. That is, keeping distance, observing the rules of hygiene, and wear masks where necessary. Wear everyday life masks. We will speak to the president of the German Society for Immunology, Thomas Kamrat. That's at 8.15 CET. Tom, top Trump administration officials uh, who have been leading the country's response to the virus pandemic testified at a White House committee as the number of cases continues to surge in the southern and western states of the U.S. Dr. Anthony Fauci, the leading infectious disease expert in the states, told the committee the surge in cases is predominantly linked to community spread and called for better preparation for future outbreaks. We need to have in place the stable type of support for preparedness for outbreaks. 
We will get through this. This will end, hopefully sooner rather than later, but we need to establish a system so that we are prepared for future outbreaks. In other areas of the country, we're now seeing a disturbing surge of infections that looks like it's a combination, but one of the things is an increase in community spread. And that's something that I'm really quite concerned about. Responding to a recent claim made by President Trump that he asked his administration to slow down testing, Dr. Fauci told lawmakers that there would be, quote, more testing, not less. I, as a member of the task force, and my colleagues on the task force, to my knowledge, I know for sure, but to my knowledge, none of us have ever been told to slow down on testing. That just is a fact. In fact, we will be doing more testing, as you've heard from Admiral Girard, not only testing to specifically identify people in the identify, isolate, and contact trace, but also much more surveillance if you want to get your arms around and understand exactly what's going on in community spread. So it's the opposite. We're going to be doing more testing, not less. Juliana has been following developments with this story very closely. And uh, welcome back, Juliana, this morning. Um, A couple of things, really. One is, why is it uh, spiking in the U.S. quite as much as it is? And what progress are we making, perhaps, to tamp this down with drugs? Well, good morning, Jeff. Uh, to your first question, the one of the big debates right now is how concerned should we be about the rise in the number of new cases in uh, parts of the United States, given the death rate is actually declining? And Dr. Fauci weighed in on this point, saying that death is always a lagging indicator. So we do need to be cognizant of the concern that these new cases end up uh, infecting people who do wind up going to hospital and suffering as a result. And so it's conceivable you may see death rates go up in the coming weeks and months. on antibodies, which is another big question here, how long the antibodies last, Dr. Fauci weighed in saying it is likely you are protected from further infection if you have already had the disease, but it's unclear how long you will be protected. Uh, Dr. Fauci also said plan A, don't go out in a crowd. That is his key message. And plan B, if you do need to go out, then wear a mask. And that's the clear uh, message coming from Dr. Fauci. He also interestingly said that the last time he spoke to the president was two and a half weeks ago. So quite a stark contrast to where we were at the beginning of this outbreak when we saw Dr. Fauci appearing at the daily briefings with President Trump. On the vaccine outlook, which is the the second part of your question, Dr. Fauci actually sounded cautiously optimistic. Those were his words, saying a vaccine may be ready by the end of this year. He said it is a matter of when, not if, but added that it may take some time. So relatively upbeat when it comes to the vaccine side of things. And our U.S. colleagues yesterday had a chance to speak to the CEO of Sanofi, one of the companies at the forefront of the charge to find a vaccine. And Sanofi is uniquely one of the companies that's actually looking at two 
separate vaccine. So they've taken this two-pronged approach. Their first vaccine is in development with GSK. And yesterday they announced an accelerated development timeline for this vaccine. They now expect a combined phase one uh, to study to start in September. Previously, we were expecting that to start in December. And potentially, we could see approval by the first half of next year. Previously, they were guiding to the second half of next year. And then the second vaccine they are working on yesterday, they announced an expansion of their collaboration with uh, Translate Bio, and this is an mRNA vaccine, so a totally different approach. And our U.S. colleagues did speak to the CEO. Take a listen to what he said about the vaccine in development with GSK. Today we announced a collaboration with Translate Bio and our team uh, working very closely with Ron and the team on the sort of the future platforms. One of them could be mRNA in COVID. That'll come a little bit later. You know, the real push for us right now is our recombinant baclovirus platform. We hope to be, you know, ready for patients before the summer of next year, first half of 2021. Made incredible progress as a team. And people forget sometimes that we're the only proven platform that's out there to treat COVID-19. So we all need a bit of luck. We still hope that somebody gets there, whoever it is, but we're going to play a big part in that in the first part of 2021. Now, Sanofi has been a really interesting story to watch in terms of the company's involvement in the fight to find the vaccine, originally lagging behind competitors and getting these vaccines into clinical trials, but now really ramping up their efforts here with two different vaccines in development and just tying it back to Dr. Fauci. Uh, the sound is fairly optimistic that we could get something by the end of the year from one of these vaccine uh, vaccines in development. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.